0: Speaking this morning, continuing our series from the pit to the palace, on with Christ into the world. With Christ into the world. Let's look at Genesis chapter 46 and verse 1. And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. Now, look at chapter 45, verse 26. This is the the sons telling Jacob. And told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, let me ask you a question. Where was Joseph? Where was he? Where did Jacob go? Beersheba. That's that word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Please help us to see the significance of all of these steps. Lord, how How full of truth it is. Father, speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Jacob has learned something. It's interesting that most of the time when Jacob is entering into an unusual circumstance, the first thing he thinks about is either how to get money or how to buy something with money. There's none of that here. There's none of it. I'm going to go see Joseph. What is the first thing that he does? Well, the first thing that we see is a prayerful heart. A prayerful heart. At the end of verse 40, 45, he's convinced of the reality that Joseph is alive. So the first thing that he does is he turns to God. Verse 1 verse of chapter 46, And Israel took his journey. Now, did you notice the difference? Jacob's not taking his journey. Israel is. Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father, Isaac. This is such a wonderful thing, and this is a priority that we need to learn. He sacrificed to God before he made other plans. This is such an important priority for us to get in our lives. How many of you have ever made a decision? You have an opportunity, you have this decision, and it's awesome. You make the decision, and then you go ask God to bless it. None have you ever done that? How many of you have ever done that and it turned out wrong? What I think is great, hey, God opened the door and he wants me to go. I prayed about it. And then you just fall flat on your face. It's all wrong, messes everything up. And then what do you say? Well, I guess I made the wrong choice. Well, then did God lead you into that wrong choice? Now, honestly, sometimes God does lead us into hard situations to teach us things. Amen? That's exactly what he's going to do with the nation of Israel. He's going to bring them into a very hard place through the tribulation period. But let's be careful. We don't blame our bad decisions on direction from God when we made our decision, and then we ask God to put a stamp of approval on it. Jacob is finally learning his lesson. Before he goes to Egypt, he's going to go to God. Now, why is that? Why is that? Because his grandfather had almost lost everything in Egypt. Isaac was told not to go to Egypt, forbidden from setting foot in there. And now God's telling Jacob to go to Egypt. He wanted to make sure that he heard from God before he moved his family to a place where they could all be lost. Don't you think that's a good lesson for all of us to learn? we need to make sure that we know God's plan before we enter into something that can literally destroy our homes and destroy our families. I've got to tell you, um, I remember hearing this as a young man. You've heard me say it often. Egypt is always a picture of the world in the Bible. It just is. Egypt is a picture of the world. And we've got to be careful whenever we move our family, moving your family. you, You don't have any idea what influence is going to come into your home When you move your family to a new area, a new school, a new church, a new neighborhood, don't enter into those decisions lightly. Amen? Now, praise God. You can enter into a place where God just absolutely blesses you by a move. So you just need to know what God's will is before you step into it. Here in Jacob's life, we learn that proper order is important. So here's the idea. It's very simple. Not going to spend any time on it other than to mention it. God first. Amen? If you put God first and then His Word first and His promises first, it's going to be good for you. He will preserve you, He'll help you. But when you get it out of order, man, it is tough. But you know what the blessing is? When you get it out of order, Anybody here ever gotten out of order? If you'll go back and he'll give you the answer for your problem from his word. If you will begin where you are, he'll fix it. He'll restore it because his word is still true. It's still powerful. Amen. Put God first. If you haven't put God first before, you've gotten yourself into trouble. Put him first. Now put his word first and believe his promises and God will. He will come true. He will bring you the blessings, just like he's going to bring Jacob. So he has a prayerful heart. But you know what I think the best part about this whole thing right here is? His providential partner. Look at verse 4. I will go down with thee into Egypt. (laughs) You know what? If he's with me, I'll go anywhere. Y'all remember Steve Baker, our missionary in England? Steve's a big guy, 6'2", 6'3". He grew up rough. He's got he, when he got married, he got a tattoo of his wife for a wedding ring. He's he 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 got saved. He woke up on a on his face on a jail cell floor, 25 years old, methamphetamine addict. Just he was a fighter. And he's just mean. He's so nice now, but when stuff he could. So if I'm walking into a dark alley, I want Steve Baker with me. You know, I want Kevin Terry with me. When I go into a fight, remember Kevin Terry? He's the, the martial arts guy. I remember he was showing our ladies uh, some self defense here, and he had Nate or he had uh, Wade come up, and he grabbed hold of Wade. I said I asked Wade, I said, "What was that like?" Wade said, "I've never been that scared in my life." <laughs> Kevin Terry. Kevin Terry got the uh, city to the, the key to the city in Los Angeles from the mayor because he was the head of the guardian angels, and there was this lady being attacked by three guys with knives in an alley. He walked into the alley. I'm not walking into the alley. Somebody help her. Hey, (laughs) this lady, she needs help. He walked into the alley, took the knives away from the guys and, you know, rescued her, so he got the key to the city. If I'm going into trouble, I want Kevin Terry with me, you know. They're getting ready to go into the world. They're getting ready to go into Egypt. Is there anybody better to have with you when you enter into the world? than God Almighty. What a partner to have. What a partner to have. What I like is what the partner, what what our partner, our God, look at what he does. The first thing that God does is he encourages him. Look at verse 2. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. Does that remind you of anything? Remember Samuel? Remember that God calls. it's, It's interesting. The servants, the very special servants that God calls twice. Saul, Saul. He did this with Moses. It's so interesting. And he says, I am with you. He says, here am I. Then look at verse three. And he said, I am God. The God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. Such a beautiful thing. He encourages him. And, you know, he's telling him it's going to be okay. But there's something that I want you to see here. It is God that keeps us in this world. It's God that keeps us. Keep your place here in Genesis. And go with me to the book of John John chapter 17. You know, I'll ask you, and I ask many people this on Sunday, how was your week? How was your week? Often, people say it was good. Many times, though, people say it was hard. It was hard. Have you ever, it's just hard to be in the world all the time. It's just hard. Um, Look at what it says in verse 9. Jesus Christ is praying for his disciples. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Isn't it interesting? God's not praying for this world. Jesus Christ, he's not praying for this world. I think that's interesting. Look at verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Now, I want, you to keep, I want you to keep that verse in mind. They're not of the world. The world hates them. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of this world. I want you to keep that in mind. Go to verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. What's repetition in the Bible? Did God just shout something to us? We're not of this world, and Jesus is not of this world. Verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Now, it's very important that we understand that Jesus Christ is, has sent us into the world. God has sent us into the world, just as he's sending Jacob into Egypt. Is that right? But he's going with us. He will keep us from the evil as we are in this world. But there's something that you need to understand. Very important right here that I hope you don't miss. This is saying that the world is evil. And that's where I don't know that we really get that. When we step out into this world, how actually wicked and anti-God it is. You know, sometimes we're way too comfortable in this world. I remember when I was, uh, I worked at a clothing store. Um, I would have been, I don't know, 19 or 20 years old. And I went to a party that one of the guys was having and I'd never been around anything like that before. Everybody was drunk or getting drunk. I'd never seen anything like that. Now, that probably shocks some of you. I was 20 years old and never seen a drunk. But we, we just didn't, we didn't do that. And I remember just being completely uncomfortable. But, you know, there was a time when the world was uncomfortable with us. Did you know that? Again, as a child, we lived in Wallingford, Connecticut. My father had started a church. We had just moved into this house, 421 South Elm Street. We had just moved into the house. The people across the street were having a get-together and invited us over. And my father said, let's go and we'll meet the neighbors. So we went over. They were having a get-together. And I remember watching this. I would have been in fifth grade. I watched this. A man sitting, I was sitting in a chair, a man sitting in a chair right here, my father sitting over here. This man says to my father, What do you do for a living? He said, I'm pastor of Faith Baptist Church. The man had a beer can. He said, Really? And put it down behind him. Isn't that interesting? Do you know what they would do now? Well, that's great, preacher. Here, drink up. Why? What's changed? What's changed? The world hasn't changed. Christians have changed. Those who represent the name of Christ have changed. I don't know that we recognize how wicked this world is because we are so immersed in it, we think it's okay. Jesus Christ is saying that this world is evil. It's evil. The other thing that I want you to see is that not everyone is kept. We have this idea that he's got the whole world in his hand. He's got the whole world in his hand. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Uh, Who's in his hand? His children. His children. I pray not for the world, but I pray for those that are yours, Father. Those that you've given me. He's not keeping everybody. He's only keeping people that are saved. So if you've got somebody that you love that you want to have kept, maybe you ought to give them the gospel so that they can be kept because this world's going down. It is. Jesus Christ is coming back and this world is going to be destroyed. It's all real. We need to understand that we are kept, but lost, the lost are not. Then. So we see a prayerful heart and a providential partner but then I want you to see the providential plan. It's interesting. Now Jacob is going down into Israel, right? They're going down into Egypt. Look at Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Verse 13. Genesis fifteen thirteen. And he said unto Abram, this is God speaking to Abram. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety. Now, you might want to mark that. When God says, Know of a surety, how many of you think that's probably going to happen? Uh, And that that applies to everything. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's just true. Whatever God says, Know this. This will happen. Know this. Uh, Just put it in the bank. It's going to happen. So look at what it says. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. What happened? They went down into Egypt, and there came a time where they remembered not Joseph, and they became slaves for four hundred years. You see, when God tells you to do something, he knows the beginning and the end. That's why I love it that the Bible says he's the author and finisher of our faith. He begins it and he ends it, and I get to go with him. Uh, What a blessing. All right, then, so it's a providential plan. Israel coming to Joseph pictures our coming to Jesus Christ. Go back to uh, chapter 46. It, let me just this is this this is just something an interesting aside look at chapter forty six verse four I will go down with thee into Egypt and will also surely bring thee up again, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. What does that mean? Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes this is this would be a common saying for the oriental mind the, the these would have underst- they, they would have understood it that Joseph will be there. When you die, when you take your last breath, he's the one who will close your eyes. Who is going to be with us in death? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Are you born again? Don't hear you know for sure that you're born again. You don't have to be afraid of death. Jesus Christ is right there with you. Praise his name. But let's look at this plan. Go to chapter 46, verse 28. And he sent Judah before him unto Joseph. This is Jacob. He sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. And Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel his father. (laughs) The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. That's the rapture when he comes to meet Israel. The church. What does he do when he comes to meet Israel? He comes riding on a white horse with chariots and with his army, and he comes and greets the nation of Israel. Just an amazing picture. But what I love, Jesus does not sit on the throne waiting for us to come and bow at his feet. When we take that step toward him, he comes and meets us. Isn't that just wonderful? Remember what happens in Zechariah chapter 13? The Bible says, They call, uh, they, and they shall call on the name of the Lord, and the Lord shall say, They shall say, This is my God, and he'll say, These are my people. Look at what happens in the next verse. Verse 30 is one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible. And Israel, oh, verse 29. And Joseph made ready his chariot. And went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen, and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face. What's it say? Because thou art yet alive. They're going to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. They will look on Him whom they have pierced. And they'll say, He's alive! He's alive! The Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ! He's alive! That's what this is. It's a beautiful picture of the nation of Israel coming back and Jesus Christ coming and embracing them. What a wonderful thing. So... Israel coming back to Christ. Joseph is back from the dead. Simeon's out of prison. He's giving them a place of provision and peace in which to live. But then we see a providentially ordered place and a providentially ordered life. This becomes very practical here. Look at what happens. And Joseph said, verse 31, And Joseph said unto his brethren and unto his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, My brethren... And my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come to me. If you go back up to verse 28, And he sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen. Unto Goshen. The prepared place for the nation of Israel was Goshen. Even though they were going into Egypt, they weren't really going into Egypt. They were going into Egypt, but they were not living with the Egyptians. They were going into Egypt for safety and for influence and for preservation, but they were not going to become Egyptians. It was a prepared place. It was a special place. I wonder, how much does your home look like the world? The home that your children are growing up in. Is there any difference between your home and and the home of the unsaved children that they go to school with? Is there a difference in their home? And, you know, everybody thinks that their home is just like everybody else's. I remember when I was a little kid, I I, I, I was probably in high school when I figured this out. I went to a friend's house. I used to think everybody's mom was a good cook. And then I found out that wasn't true. You go and they put this, you know, swill before you and, Of course, I was taught that you eat what's before you and you act like you like it. So my parents taught me to be a deceiver. (laughs) But I remember going to people's houses. I remember I went to a a friend's house. Again, I was in high school. And we walked into the house. And I remember my friend, he was standing behind me. And he kept saying, left, left, left. I didn't know what he was talking about. And I just walked into the room. And his parents were having a knockdown, dragout drag-out fight. He was trying to get me to go to the left up the stairs so he wouldn't be embarrassed with that. My home wasn't like that. It's not the way our house looked. And I remember being shocked seeing these these two supposedly Christian adults standing there just screaming at each other, not caring that their son's friends were there And I began realizing that all these homes around us, they're not like the house that I grew up in. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that our kids get to grow up in a Christian home. Remember, there's a big difference between a Christian home and a home full of Christians. We have a prepared place. I want our home to be a place of godliness and peace, joy and rest. That's exactly what Goshen was supposed to be. You know that kingdom of God that he's come to establish in our hearts? He's going to establish that on the earth when he comes and establishes his kingdom. Amen? But we're supposed to have that in us already. That's what our homes are supposed to look like. So not only did he give them a prepared place, but a prepared life. Look at what he says in verse 31. And Joseph said unto his brethren and unto his father's house, I will go up. And show Pharaoh, Oh, just stop. This thought came to me that I had wanted to tell you about Goshen. Something about Goshen that's interesting is Goshen was nearer to Canaan than the rest of Egypt. Isn't that interesting? We as believers should have a life, a life, that even though we're in a home, that even though we're in this world, looks a lot co- closer to home. All right? So now, and Joseph said unto his brethren... And unto his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, My brethren and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. And look what it says in verse 32. And the men are shepherds, for their trade hath been to feed cattle. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall say, shall call you and shall say, What is your occupation? that ye shall say thy servant's trade hath been about cattle from our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers, that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen. Look at what it says. For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. (laughs) A providentially ordered place and a providentially ordered life. These are shepherds. Jesus Christ is a shepherd. The Egyptians hated shepherds. They hated sheep. You know why? Because they sacrificed cows. Holy cow? They sacrificed cows. They hated people that sacrificed sheep. Because the world hates our worship. The world hates it. You know what he's telling them? Be Christ like, be like Jesus. You know what's going to happen if you're like Jesus Christ? The world's going to hate you. Did Jesus Christ say that? Don't be surprised when they hate you. They hated me first. So what he's saying is, I have a prepared place so that you can be in the world, but still separated from it. But I also want you to have a vocation that separates you from the world. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Of course, keep your place in Genesis. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called... He, Joseph is telling his brothers, "Look, you're shepherds. That's what you are. You need to make sure that you present yourselves as shepherds in this world. Do you know what our job is? What did, what did Paul say? What did Jesus Christ say to Peter? Uh, hey, Peter, when you're converted, feed my sheep. <laughs> when you're converted, feed my sheep. Do you know what we're supposed to do? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature." That's what we're supposed to do when we take on the armor of God, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, sword of the spirit, uh, shield of faith, loins girt about with the uh, with the truth, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We live in this world as shepherds. That's what we do. Do You know, one of the greatest ways, one of the greatest ways to remain separated in this world, live like Christ. Remember what Lutzer said. If the world loves your Jesus, it's because you've made him in to something that he is not. If you live for Jesus, some of your old friends won't want to be your friends anymore. Either that or they'll get saved. Both of those are good results. See, they hated them. They were an abomination. Your Christ likeness ought to be an affront to the sinfulness of the worldly people around you. And it's not that you go to them and say, Hi, I'm so much more holy than you. I'm Jim. (laughs) Hello, you lowly sinner. No, that's not it. Your lifestyle is just different. Your lifestyle is different. There are things that you do not do because you're saved. There are things that you do do because you are saved. And those things confront the culture. And what they do is they not only they influence the culture around you, but they also preserve your home from the influence of the world. What an amazing picture. Notice, I'm not saying don't be in. We're not going to be monks. Right? We're we're not going to go and build a build a compound and all of us move into the compound and keep the world out. No, we're going to live godly and holy lives in this world as we interact with people in this world. Amen? So what I'm saying is, we have, we have Christian, godly factory workers. Christian, godly pharmacists. Christian, godly doctors. Christian, godly teachers. Christian, godly engineers. Christian, godly moms and dads. Christian, godly students. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. There's a difference on the police force. There's a difference on the fire department. There's a difference in the hospital. There's a difference in the factory. There's a difference in the school. Why? Because God's people are there. A providentially ordered place and a providentially ordered people. Would you look with me at James chapter 4? This is what Joseph was telling them. James chapter 4 and verse 4. Again, this is another passage I've never seen on a pillow. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, (laughs) know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world. What's it say? Would you read it out loud? How friendly are you with the world? Isn't that interesting? No, here's the deal. I'm not saying that you're not supposed to have any unsafe friends. That's not what the text is saying. It's saying friendship with worldliness. Do you see the difference? You can lead people to Christ because they're your friends. You can influence people because they are your friends. There are people in this church that I've known for years and years and years and years. And we've been friends. They were godly people before they ever came into this church. And I'm glad we're able to expand that relationship. We're talking about being in the world but not being of the world. Different. 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 Oh, and then I like this. Look at what it says. We won't take the time to turn there again. Remember what the Bible said in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13. God's telling Abraham that they were going to be strangers in a land. They were going to be. They said, when you stand before Pharaoh, tell him that you're shepherds. Why is that important? Because shepherds. Shepherds were nomads. They were pilgrims. They weren't putting down roots. They were just passing through. (laughs) <laughs> Do you know how we're supposed to live in this world as strangers and aliens and pilgrims? I was listening to James Knox this week and he, on a different text than this. And he was uh, saying one of the big problems that we have with serving God is we have too much stuff. Sorry, I can't serve God this week. i got to take care of my stuff. Can't serve God next week. i got to take care of my stuff. Don't have time to help now. i got to take care of my stuff. Let's just be honest, just for a second. How many of you, that right there, kind of got you just a little bit? Me too. I got so much stuff, I had to have an extra garage for my stuff. And then I didn't have enough room in all those garages for my stuff. And when you realize how much time you take investing in this world, and then we don't have time to invest in the world to come. That is Laodicea. That's the state of Christians today. And you know what's amazing about that? We're one of the best churches I know of. We're the ones trying to do right. And we're still entangled with the affairs of this world, the affairs of this life. Let's become Christ-like. Let's understand that He's given us a prepared place, and He has given us a prepared life to live. And then, lastly, I want you to see the providential mediator. The providential mediator. Go back to... Genesis 46. This is pretty cool. It's exactly what Jesus Christ does for us. Genesis 46. Verse 31. And Joseph said unto his brethren and unto his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh. Do you know what Jesus does for us? He ascends to the throne of God and says, These are my brethren. He tells the father, these are heirs and joint heirs with me. You see, Jesus Christ is unique because not only is he God. Remember, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Well, that's Joseph in the kingdom. He's comfortable with the king. But then Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So what he can do is he can touch the king and he can touch the herdsman at the same time. He is our special mediator. Not only is he God on the throne. He's also our brother when we receive him as Christ. What an amazing picture. The Bible tells us about him. First Timothy 2, five. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. What an amazing text. You know what this tells us? God, God is sending us into the world, but he expects us to be like him. He expects us to be shepherds in this world, just traveling through. Not settling down, not getting too comfortable, and living a life that'll be an abomination to some, but will lead others to Him. Amen? That's who we're supposed to be. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for.